White Sox! White Sox! Go! 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 Call your sons! Call your daughters! Holy cow! Carlton Burns has put the White Sox ahead! There goes number 400! The big Brad Burns takes the perfect game! His second no-hitter! You can't put it on the board! Yeah! Can it go? Grand slam! The White Sox winner and a world championship! Have all the fun you want, Tim Anderson! This one is... Locked on socks. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey. And the best White Sox talk is on Locked on Socks podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello and welcome to today's edition of Locked on White Sox. I am your host, Chris Tannehill. Herb Lawrence was murdered and set on fire while celebrating his birthday. Good evening, I'm Ken Bastida. Dana is off tonight. He was murdered and then set on fire while celebrating his birthday. But we will be talking to Herb tomorrow on tomorrow's episode. So don't worry, he's en route to San Diego, actually. So be fun talking to him. I haven't talked to him since we did the last episode about Michael Kopech. So I'm looking forward to chatting it up. With Herbie. In today's episode of Locked on White Sox, I'm going to tell you how Lucas Giolito could be even better this year. Also, could first round pick Garrett Crochet factor in a playoff push? And what about Luis Robert? His arrival has already reached a fever pitch, and there's also a cautionary tale for Major League Baseball in here as well. But Locked on White Sox is brought to you by our friends at rockauto.com. If you're heading out this summer on a road trip, make sure everything in your automobile is running tip-top shape. And one way to do that, if you need parts for your car, head to rockauto.com. Why would you go to a big auto parts store and waste money on your car parts when you could be using that money for other things? Food, mortgage, vacationing. You see, chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. But rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're always reliably low. Rockauto.com offers the lowest prices possible rather than charging prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. But not only that, RockAuto.com is a family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts for hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything from engine control modules to brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet for your car. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. So here's what you gotta do. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And don't forget this, so important, right locked on in there. How'd you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, so episode number 46 today. I would normally defer to my partner, Herb, but since it's me all by myself here, I feel like Garth in Wayne's World when he's doing the show solo. I'm having a good time. Not. Did you ever see that scene in Scanners when that dude's head blew up? But we'll soldier on and I'll tell you about number 46 in White Sox history. Not a very illustrious history of jersey wearers with the number 46. Uh, I'll start with Jason Beret, uh, who changed his number to 46 in, in 1994. 
And he was one of my favorite parts about those early 90s Sox teams because he was the youngest pitcher on the staff at the time. And so, you know, as a young kid, I would, you know, flock to him a little bit. I remember he of the great Fosh pitch that he used to throw and kid grew up in the East Coast. He'd have a uh, Roger Clemens baseball card in his wallet. I always thought that was cool, like, you know, to see a big league player talk about players that they grew up watching. So a lot of love for Jason Beret. But ultimately, this one comes down to two guys in my book. Uh, number one, Neil Cotts, War 46 from 2004 to 2006. And, you know, Obviously, we talked about it in last episode. If you remember that 05 White Sox team, you're going to have the edge for who we're going to name the episode after. But uh, not so today because also wearing number 46 from 1999 to 2002 was Bob Howry. And when I think Bob Howry, I immediately go back to Saturday, April 22nd of 2000. Uh, one of my favorite memories of, of going to a White Sox game. And I think you guys already know what I'm talking about, but it's Sox and Tigers, Jim Parquet versus Jeff Weaver that day. And it turned out to be, uh, it was a really nice day on the South side. I went with my dad. We had a great time, but it turned out to be one of the bloodiest, biggest baseball brawls. How about that for alliteration? Uh, it was a real rhubarb and Bob Howery was a huge part of that. So if you don't remember, the whole video is on YouTube, actually, if you want to go check out Sox Tigers Brawl, April 22nd, 2000. But it's the first thing I think of when I think Bob Howery. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. So Jeff Weaver starts the game for the Tigers. He hits El Caballo, Carlos Lee. And then Jim Parquet starts for the White Sox. He comes back and, and drills Dean Palmer. By the way, this is a real like cornucopia of, of baseball, that guy, names when you take a look at the box score uh, of this game you've got dean palmer juan gonzalez you got greg jeffries brad osmus all on the tigers roster uh luis polonia tony clark the mlpa president and uh the earlier uh, rendition of the encarnacion family juan encarnacion was also a tiger so was, they had a bunch of that guy sort of players on that team so jim parquet in retaliation he drills Dean Palmer. Dean Palmer charges the mound, even threw his helmet at, at Jim Parquet, who any Sox fan will tell you they love Jim Parquet. The guy was, was tough as nails out there, despite he wasn't the biggest guy on the field, but he was tough, and uh, he, he pitched that way as well. You know, pitched inside, wasn't afraid to use all parts of the plate. So after Dean Palmer charges Jim Parquet, punches start flying, people start choking each other out, people start bleeding. And then, so, you know, they, they break everyone up. Then Keith Folk, you guys remember Keith Folk comes in. He, of course, won a World Series with the Red Sox in 2004. He was on the mound when they broke their curse. He cut his face and later required five stitches. So then game kind of settles down a little bit. And I just remember watching this thing go down with my dad. And it was just, it was, it was crazy. I, I was 17 years old and I'm like, this is the craziest shit I'll ever see at a baseball game. And, and, and you take baseball history aside, I think it still might be to this day just one of the oddest, wildest moments I can recall at a ballpark. And the thing that I always remember most is Robert Fick, of course, of the Tigers, you know, world-renowned for being one of the, the biggest baseball D-bags, even when he went on later to play with the Braves. I remember there was an incident with him and the Cubs. But Robert Fick was in the Tigers' bullpen at the time, and I just remember we were sitting on the third baseline, my dad and I, I just remember looking out to the right field bullpen where the visitors' team 
uh, resides at US then U.S. Cellular Field, now Guaranteed Rate Field, of course. I just remember the fans in the right field bleachers and stands just bombarding Robert Fick with beer after beer after beer, and Robert Fick was bloody uh, after coming back from the field in, in one of these you know melees. So he's got a bloody face, and he's got beer being pelted at him, and he's just like you know standing there like yeah, bring it on. I just remember having a clear shot of that, and that that's sort of the image that that's the image that I always remember about that brawl. But one of the other things I remember, Bob Howry comes in the ninth inning. You know the game was over at this point. The Sox were winning. Uh, they had a big lead uh, in the ninth inning. So Bob Howry comes in, and he buzzes the tower a couple times and eventually hits Shane Halter. Bench is clear again, and the the image I'll have forever of Bob Howry, who I believe went on to win a World Series with the Giants later on, spent some time on the north side with the Cubs later in his career. But Bob Howry, after he hits Shane Halter, he looks at the Tigers bench and he goes, let's effing go. Like this is one guy that's going to take on an entire team. And this is probably the craziest brawl I can remember until recent vintage last year, 2019, Amir Garrett taking on the entire Pirates team, I believe it was. You remember Amir Garrett sort of signaling to the to the dugout, let's go. Like that was a Bob Howery moment that I'll never forget. And what always when I think of Sox Tigers, that's inevitably one of the first things that pops in my mind. And one of the things that I wish we could have gotten to earlier in the year, this was the 20th anniversary, obviously, of that Sox-Tigers brawl. So, yeah, I was hoping to maybe get someone on and talk about that or Herb and I could talk about it. There'll be plenty of opportunities because I'm sure the Sox and Tigers will will fight again, especially when you look at it in, in today's context because they said at the time that the White Sox team was a young team. This was early in the season. And they sort of took off after that Sox-Tigers brawl, you know, even though uh, between the two teams, 16 guys got suspended, nine guys got fined. I remember they, Maglio Ordonez missed a considerable amount of time for his role in the brawl. But they said anecdotally, oh, yeah, this team really, they gelled and they took off after they <laughs> whooped another team's ass. But I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm sure we'll, we'll see another brawl. But maybe not to this extent as the Tigers are sort of uh, at the bottom of their rebuild and the Sox are on their way up. You never know. Maybe down the road we'll, we'll see something like that. So, yeah, episode 46, Bob Howery. Some personal news before we begin the podcast tonight. Uh, I mentioned I was in Michigan uh, all of last week and so naturally I come back home to Chicago and I thought it would be prudent to get tested for COVID-19. Uh, I don't have the luxury of working from home like a lot of you listening may have. I know a lot of you are going back to your offices, but I'm still reporting to the SCORE studios in downtown Chicago every day. We have a skeleton crew of guys working there still. We want to keep it safe. So you just want to make sure you get tested and sort of make sure everything's okay before you go back to work. So Saturday, I go to my Northwest side testing facility, and I'm not going to get too political here, but it, it shouldn't be harder to get a test as we are four months into this COVID-19 crisis. Um, I do like that it was it's free to the public, and there's very little paperwork you have to fill out. But I waited for my test for nearly three hours last weekend, and... I had gotten tested before, and the first test that I took early on in the pandemic was the 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 Q-tip all the way up your nasal cavity. Basically, it feels like it's touching your brain. And when I went the first time, it was administered by U.S. Army personnel. So they tell you to, to tilt your head back, and then you see this 
Q-tip that's about a foot long. And, you know, you're like, oh, God, here we go. And you don't want to cry in front of the military people. So I, I tried my best not to. I didn't. I succeeded. But they jammed that thing up there, and there's nothing that could prepare you for that feeling. So when you go back to get your second test, like I did, I'm thinking, oh, God, here we go. Here comes the Q-tip again. Uh, and they did have a Q-tip, but they only swabbed each nostril uh, and, you know, just didn't go very deep. It was just, here's a quick swab to your left, then to your right, and then that's it. So that was a relief in that regard, but that part of me was like, hey, what happened to the uh, the old all the way up to my to my brain treatment, huh? I, this can't be as efficient as that, but uh, it turns out it was. I got my test for results back yesterday, and I do have pleasant news to report on that front. And I tested very positively in a in another sense. So negative. this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So no, I tested uh, perfectly this morning. Meaning, meaning I tested negative. I tested so perfectly, I, you won't believe it. If I get the Rona. Yeah, so I'm in the clear with the Rona, but I did come back to uh, my lawn having a bad case of crabgrass. I've been infested with crabgrass and I've been picking them out one by one as I don't know how to treat them. So if you got any crabgrass tips, let me know here on lockedonsocks at gmail.com. More on my Traverse City trip and my trip to up to Michigan later on in this episode. There is some Sox news this week. Uh, recently it was announced that the Sox have their taxi squad ready to go. They're going to be practicing out of uh, Schaumburg, the Boomer Stadium. The Schaumburg Boomers have been gracious enough to give the White Sox their home. Uh, workouts began today. You cannot attend, so don't try to go if you're the, if you're the general public. Salute! So don't try to go see these guys. You know, practice or scrimmage or whatever. You can't. Not open to the public out of safety. So they're carrying one catcher, Sebi Zavala. Not much of a surprise there, as he flirted a little bit with the big league club last year. Outfielders. Not many surprises here, I don't think. Mike Rodolfo, Luis Gonzalez, and Blake Rutherford. So we mentioned this a few episodes previous, how these guys, these 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 outfield prospects that are sort of all around the same trajectory level and they're looking for someone to take that next step, you know, one of these guys could step up sort of and, and make a name for themselves and maybe separate themselves from their prospect colleagues, if you want to put it that way. Some of the other guys that they're, they're going to be fighting for either to be on a big league roster going forward or maybe to get traded and be in a better situation to a different team that doesn't have as much of an outfield glut as the White Sox do. So that's something to keep your eye on for sure. And it looks like Luis Basabe is going to be with the big league club in Chicago, and I'm very excited about that. I'm a big fan of Basabe. There's also some pitchers here, seven pitchers that are right-handed. Zach Birdie, Ryan Burr, Matt Foster, Brady Lale, Alex McRae, Brian Mitchell, and Jonathan Stever, who you heard a lot, uh, Rakan talk a lot about him in his some of his Zoom calls as someone who has really surprised and has sort of had heads turning uh, in this early uh, rendition of summer camp. And the left-handed pitchers, Bernardo Flores Jr., Jacob Lindgren, Adalberto Mejia, Bennett Souza, and number one pick out of Tennessee, Garrett Crochet. So 16 guys working out in Schaumburg, Crochet being one of them. Chris Getz, the uh, head of White Sox player development, was on a Zoom call earlier this week, and he talked about how Garrett Crochet could factor into the 2020 plans. You know, when it comes to Garrett, you know, looking at, uh, you know, what he's been able to do this season, um, which, you know, he doesn't have too many innings under his belt, Bruce. So, uh, and then you, you factor in just certainly a, a layoff like everyone else. 
we want to build him up appropriately, but we also uh, just, just want him to get comfortable with being a White Sox. And uh, you know, we'll 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 certainly um, start with one inning, then tack on two innings. Uh, there's some pitch development things that that we're certainly going to work on uh, with Garrett. Um, you know, he does have present. Uh, major league stuff without question, but our job on the development side is to get the most out of this player. So it's really about getting to getting through day one and then see where our major league season goes. But I, I don't think we need to necessarily focus on, a, a, you know, the major league radar for, for Garrett. I think it's more just getting comfortable um, with the organization. Would you rule it out for this year? Uh, in a environment like this, it's, it's tough to rule anything out. Um, you know, Garrett's a talented, talented player, but I, uh, you know, the focus is is truly just to get him his, you know, his uh, foot in the door here, so to speak, um, and get around our guys, and we'll go from there. But with, with talented players like himself, you know, I, I hate to rule anything out. So there you have it, Chris Getz talking about Garrett Crochet, first round pick this year out of Tennessee, who many have comp to Chris Sale. I'd be careful on that. Obviously, Chris Sale, uh, one of the top pitchers in all of baseball currently. But there's two schools of thought here. Obviously, one is okay, you, you, as a pitcher, you only have, you see with Chris Sale, you only have so many bullets in that gun, right? So you, you don't want to overexert a kid early. You don't want to have him throwing unnecessary innings. And, you know, you just, you, you want, you don't want him getting hurt and you want to save as many bullets in that gun for the major league level as you possibly can but obviously this is a situation where we haven't seen before with COVID-19 and the basically the death of the minor leagues this year Garrett Crochet is not going to have a chance to get used to becoming a professional but he's also not going to be pitching in any any games of any consequence at all so there's the other school of thought is why not get him acclimated at the big league level see what he can do, get some work in, and get him around big league coaching. Now, I talked about this earlier on previous episodes. They're obviously going to have all the resources of all the player development people, but what better people to have your eyes on your top prospect, your, at least your, you know, your newest draft pick, than guys at the big league level. Now, I think a lot of things would have to go very wrong for Garrett Crochet to pitch in 2020. You'd have to have some, some injuries. You'd have to have some COVID cases likely during the season. There are certainly other left-handed pitchers who are on this taxi squad who they would maybe trust more um, than Garrett Crochet. But you heard Chris Getz himself not rule it out. But could you imagine late in the season, Cubs, take your pick of any of the teams. Like These are all high-leverage teams and games. But, you know, Cubs Sox, for example, all of a sudden, you know, you got a big spot in a big ball game and here comes Kyle Schwarber coming up, and you need a left-handed arm to go at him. And if you're trying to maximize everything you can out of this season, what's the harm of putting Garrett Crochet in a, in a ball game like that and, and getting him some big league innings where otherwise he wouldn't be pitching at all? And what better way to get him acclimated to the professional baseball life than getting him up at the big league level and getting him some game experience? Because this year there's so much going on. And it's going to be unlike any other year. I think the attitude has to be, why not? Because he could just as easily get hurt uh, on the taxi squad scrimmaging or if he was in Birmingham or Canapolis 
or any of the other affiliates. You could just as easily get hurt there than as he could pitching in the major leagues for the White Sox. So I think that's going to be something to watch for. Again, I don't think it will happen whatsoever, but just the possibilities start to, you know, you get the gears start turning and you think about something like that happening and everything's up for grabs this year. Anything could happen. You heard him say it there. So something to watch for in 2020, Garrett Crochet possibly making his big league debut much sooner than anyone would have hoped for. So obviously another thing on Sox fans radar this week is we actually have been able to watch some live games, some scrimmages between Sox, Cubs, other teams in baseball. They're, they're, they're holding scrimmages and a lot of television networks are picking them up. NBC Sports Chicago picked up every single one of the White Sox scrimmages this week. And it just it's cool to have baseball back on TV. You know, regardless of whatever you feel about how this year is going to shake out, the road to a championship, what it's going to look like, what the teams are going to look like in terms of roster structure, what players are, are going to opt out, You know, players are still opting out as we get closer and closer to opening day, which is, by the way, nine days away for Max Scherzer and Garrett Cole. but So I've been watching these games as much as I could possibly be watching them because a lot of them take place right in the, when I'm in the middle of my workday, 1 o'clock today, today's game was. So you're trying to watch without sound, uh, without much vid, you know, video graphics to, to support what they're talking about during the game. And one of the things that I've been joking about is there's no score boxes, there are no stats, very few graphics during the course of a game. They were showing all the parts of the country that Sox fans were checking in at. But one of the things that you first notice is how everything is stripped down. And I, I understand that you know, with a game broadcast, there's a lot of people. I, I've worked in, in football broadcasts and television before, and it takes so many people to get these games and, and bring them to you and especially at a high level. So Jason Benetti and Chuck Garfine did the games. They were socially distanced during the game. And it was funny because a lot of these guys were dressed in their full spring uniforms. Lucas Giolito, notably, who pitched the other day, and I'll get to him later on. But he was in his full spring uniform. He was prepared like he was starting a game. And a lot of guys, it was two schools of thought here. A lot of guys were prepared to start a baseball game and play. And other guys were just like, ah, let me just throw some workout clothes on there. So Lucas is in his full uniform. Yasmani Grandal in his full uniform. Uh, there were some other things that, that were weird. Uh, I believe Edwin Encarnacion was wearing jorts, I think. Nicky Delmonico had some Zubaz on. Uh, Leori Garcia was wearing a uh, an oversized white T-shirt like it was uh, 2003 in Baltimore. Zach Collins was wearing an Ask Me About My Grandkids shirt. Very weird. So yeah, so there's that aspect of it, just the oddity of you know who's taking it uber seriously, who's just out there trying to get some work in. It's funny, but I mentioned it being no graphics whatsoever, how it is an odd experience watching it and in, in taking in a baseball game like that. So Jason Benetti and Chuck Garfine talked about that very early on in the broadcast that I was watching. So here's Encarnacion. As uh, it's it's one to nothing. I, I mean. I hope you all don't expect that the score is going to be frequently said here. Oh, but you know what? There's a development. We actually have the score on the scoreboard, so that's going to help us. I have a question for you. Yeah? Should I keep score? Well, that's a good question, actually. Yeah. Are you keeping score for your personal history to say that you called this game? No. You're doing it more for just your... Own broadcasting of the game. I kind of am one of those people who feels wrong not keeping score when you're at a baseball game. I think you should keep score. 
because I'm not. <laughs> that was that was a more practical <laughs> sense. So yeah, so they were kind of conflicted as well when they were trying to go about their business, and there's going to be a lot of figuring this out as we go along here in 2020. But yeah, they they it was noticeable. Uh, you don't know. You, all you had was the graphic of who was up. Like, here's Jose Abreu. That's it. There's his name. And, you know, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I love all my guys over at NBC Sports Chicago and gals over there as well. Uh, Ryan McGuffey, Chris Kampka, Sarah Lauk. They all do such a great job. So I'm not trying to poop on them. It was just, it was just an odd experience watching a baseball game in this way. I just would like to know uh, if Luis Robert did a thing or not you know what what did he do in his past to bat uh you don't have to tell me if he's one for two i don't need his batting average in, in three games of 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 inner squad games you know may tell me what he ate for breakfast uh you know tell me what what music he's listening to give me something that describes something about the players so i know what i'm watching here because if you've been watching these games the one thing that's stuck out is luis robert this is a guy, one of the big, big tragedies of this year in a baseball lens only is that we haven't gotten a chance to watch Luis Robert day in and day out. And when I say that, I mean watch a guy like Eloy last year, makes his debut on opening day, struggles mightily early with major league pitching, and you're really rooting for him to figure it out and you're waiting, when's his first home run going to be? It's actually his first Two in in Yankee Stadium when Herb and I were out there uh, to see the White Sox play, uh, and then you know he struggles and he figures it out finally, and then he sort of treads water for a while, and then by the end of the year in September and late August he's crushing big league pitching, and then all of a sudden by the beginning of this year you're talking about him breaking the White Sox home run record. So I love that part of it of watching a player come up through 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 the minors and make it their debut and it's it's one of the rewarding parts about this rebuild is watching guys struggle and then seeing them figure it out or you know or some guys not so much figure it out but the ones who do figure it out when they do it's special so not being able to see Luis Robert for the full 2020 season it's it's one of the things that that I'll forever look back on this season and be like oh man I, I really wish we could have seen that because Everything that I've seen so far early and in the early spring games and certainly of late, how could you not be excited about Luis Robert? And he's going to do so much to help that defense in the outfield and for his starting pitchers. He's like in every shot. He made a great running catch the other day in the gap. You know, I saw one earlier today, a simple fly ball to right field to Nomar Mazzara. Mazzara makes the catch. And then here comes Luis Robert, ultimately in your picture. The number 88 comes storming through there, looking like Michael Irvin, the playmaker with the number 88 with the gold chains on. It's really a sight to see. And it's pretty much all they've been talking about on the broadcast is Luis Robert. White Sox summer camp continues. Well, I mean, Luis Robert stood out. I mean, Luis Robert hitting a home run and falling down. Robert is back on it. Luis Robert tracking it all the way to the warm track and he makes the grab it's like two days after christmas when you have this new toy and you don't know exactly what it can do yet Luis roberts you saw robert make a great catch Luis roberts what robert can get Luis roberts so Luis robert caught by Luis robert but Luis robert this goes into center field for Luis robert Luis robert continues to be on base you put the ball there Luis roberts gonna do damage Luis robert just stole second base Luis robert get robert home Luis robert scores robert Luis robert another beautiful day and, and also Luis Robert, you know, it's funny about him, and it's almost going to be like a broken record. He's going to do something every single day. I'll tell you tomorrow who Joe McEwing compared Luis Robert to. 
Oh, I can't wait to find out who that comparison is for, for Luis Robert. But you get the idea. Everyone, all eyes are on Luis Robert. And how could they not be? Does something exciting every time you're watching. Stole a base earlier today. Made a great play in center field. Of course, hitting that home run and then falling over, like one of the funniest clips that you saw on the internet last weekend was him hitting a home run, falling over, no sound, no no audio, just one shot camera, and it was retweeted hundreds of thousands of times. And that's the stuff you like to see uh, from your top prospect, number three prospect in all of baseball, Luis Robert. I mentioned Lucas Giolito earlier. He's one of the few players that took his outing seriously with his full uniform but Yasmani Grandal is, is the one who he'll be throwing to this year. And, you know, you forget sometimes, like, yeah, the White Sox have Yasmani Grandal. You know, he's the biggest free agent acquisition in team's history, at least as far as the dollars go. Time will tell if whether or not he was the biggest in terms of impact to the team. But Yasmani Grandal was on a conference call earlier this week, and he talked about what he's doing to work with Lucas Giolito, who obviously – finished sixth in AL Cy Young voting in 2019, but how can he improve on that? How does Lucas Giolito take the next step to sort of be one of those top-end front-line starters, a true ace, a guy who you want out there in Game 7 of a World Series? Here's Yasmani Grandal talking about what he's been doing with Lucas Giolito. Obviously, you want to you add on as much as you can. We, we already saw what he can do last year and pretty much did it with two pitches. So the fact that we've added... Uh, Two more, and and they're both both coming along real well. Um, you know, it's just going to make them that much better. It's going to give us room for error, and it's going to allow us to get into counts better with different pitches, and and have uh, the opposing team kind of see a different side of uh, of, of his uh, repertoire. So yeah, how about that, White Sox fans? The possibility of Lucas Giolito becoming even better. Lucas Giolito is a guy who took on the task of his own development, went outside the organization to get better learn more about himself on an emotional mental level and that helped him with the physical mechanics after that and he sort of just I'm gonna go fastball that you know the fastball upstairs that's gonna be my key to success and he was still able to have an amazing season with mainly just that so that's one thing to watch for I don't think we've seen it I know he was working pretty heavily on his curveball in the game that I watched the other day, but that's certainly something to keep your eye on in 2020 is Lucas Giolito mixing up the pitches, and I can only imagine that newly formed confidence that he built up last year and having that approach to whatever new pitches he's going to throw combined with a veteran presence back there, someone like Yasmani Grandal who's skilled in pitch framing and who can have the conviction to, to throw the signs down, that's going to be an awesome combination to watch, sort of the game within the game thing of you know when is he going to be comfortable, when is he, when is he going to be shaken off Grandal, things like that. When are we going to see it? Will it change for opponents? Uh, you know, so that's one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing and certainly something that I didn't really expect to hear is and something I couldn't really fathom at this point is Lucas Giolito having a better season than he did in 2019. But time will tell. Another thing on Grandal's conference call that I thought was funny today, something that I can't believe someone thought enough to ask the question, was about well, what are they going to do about Bat Boys and Bat Girls and and Ball Girls and things like that, and sort of the ancillary folks and kids and and young people that work around a major league ball club during day of game services 
that that help everything go. You know, you need the the bat boy to, to you know, well, you don't really need him to pick up a bat after a walk. That's a little silly, but you know, certainly running the balls out to the umpire is something that happens, especially after you know a fifteen pitch at bat. You know, that an umpire needs more bulls, so you know, you need your bat boy to come out there and deliver those to him, or the ball boy. So, what are they going to do this year as we ease back into? getting more people at the ballpark, and Yasmani has an idea of how to replace Bat Boys. I'm sure we're going to have our own Bat Boy, which will be one of the players, I can tell you that much. Don't know who will be right now, but uh, you never know. Maybe it becomes one of those things that whoever is the Bat Boy that day, the next day he comes out and crushes, so everybody's going to want to do it. That's something funny when you think about it. I was talking to Matt Spiegel of 6-7 to the score earlier this week about it, and he says, we all know it's going to be Danny Mendick's job to lose. And that's fair, um, but certainly depends. You know, the first guy I think of is Nick Madrigal. Here's a number one pick. Here's a guy with less seniority than Danny Mendick who could find his way on the big league roster. And that's another guy who has turned some heads this year in some of these uh, scrimmage games. Nick Madrigal still raking you know in, in a leadoff spot you know getting on base making contact doing exactly what the Sox have him here to do but if he makes the club how could it not be magical right I mean I don't I don't want to make any any short jokes you know but you know, he's a young guy so he ought to he kind of looks like like a like a like a bat boy or a ball boy already uh, by default someone might just treat him as such uh you know because he's a very pretty quiet guy and pretty pretty reserved guy from what i have noticed about him but yeah that that would be funny how that turns out you know the sort of the the hierarchy like you know you can't embarrass players anymore you can't make them wear dresses and things like that i suppose you could because of social media but a lot of that was you know here wear a kid's backpack because that's hilarious because haha you're a kid you're a child so wear a kid's backpack out to the bullpen filled with bubble gum and tobacco and all the other shit that baseball players need during a baseball game but yeah so you can't do that you can't embarrass players publicly anymore because there's no fans in a lot of these places and i don't think there will be all season so how does that work you know what if nick madrigal sucks as uh, as a bat boy and the Scott the Sox don't score any runs baseball players are the most superstitious people on the planet so you know what happens if they say hey uh Yasmani it's your turn here buddy to be the bat boy and he's never gonna do it obviously the <laughs> richest guy on the team uh someone with as much big league tenure as him but what about like some of the guys in the middle who maybe don't have as much tenure as him and don't make as much money someone like you know Nicky Delmonico or something like that so guys who have been here for a while and all of a sudden oh you're the bat boy and then all of a sudden team starts to hit a little bit and for 60 games a guy could be a bat boy for like 50 games and it's going to be ridiculous so that's another thing to watch for in 2020 finally you know i mentioned earlier i made my way up to michigan last week and something i didn't get to during the michael kopech podcast because that was big news certainly when i returned home but there was baseball being played uh, when i made my way up to michigan the 4th of July weekend. I had no idea about the North Woods League. I know, I'm not a great baseball fan. I didn't know much about the North Woods League. But the North Woods League is an independent league focusing mainly on the teams in Wisconsin. There's a team here in Rockford, Illinois, the Rockford Rivets, in the Dakotas. And basically, it's an independent league comprised of college kids who still have remaining eligibility. So if they want to go back to play in school, they can do that. But the catch is, the caveat is, they don't get paid. There's no salaries in the North Woods League, which I'm not a huge fan of. 
But I saw they, were, they had just opened their season up in Traverse City. They are the defending Northwoods League champions, uh, the Traverse City Pit Spitters. Uh, I love the team name. Bought myself a cap. And they're the Pit Spitters because Traverse City, Michigan, that, that part of Michigan, they're known for their cherry production. Every summer, not this year, they have the Cherry Festival. So that's sort of their thing up there. I went to a store called Cherry Republic. They've got, uh, I think, at least two locations in northern Michigan. Well, actually, northern southern Michigan because it's not in the Upper Peninsula. It's it's the northernmost port point of the southern part of the state, which is the Mitten. So you go to this, these cherry stores and you could buy like cherry barbecue sauce and chocolate-covered cherries and cherry salsa. Oh, it's great stuff. So they're the, the, the cherry spitters. Uh, the pit spitters in Traverse City. So I find out that they, they open their season and all of a sudden it starts to creep in my head. You know, you're going on vacation. What would be better than, than seeing a baseball game, especially of going up there? My dad is up there with us. So I'm thinking, man, that would be pretty cool. And also just sort of an oddity because, you know, I have never been to a minor league game. I've never been to an independent league game like that. Usually I just, I go to, you know, big league ball games, you know, I'm sort of a hipster in that regard. I say the same thing about stand up comedy. I don't go to open mics. Okay. I, I only want to see guys like Chris Rock, Chappelle, Joe Rogan, Bill Burr when they come into town. I'm a headliner guy. Okay. So sue me. I, I got a, a wife and kid. I don't have time to get out there and see a lot of, of open mic nights and, and, and residencies here in Chicago. If you're looking at comedy. So baseball is just the same way, right? Never been to a minor league game. So I thought it would be cool to see Traverse City play when I'm up there. And what they've done in the Northwoods League, and it's a, they've got some notable names to come out of that league. Chris Sale pitched in that league. Ben Zobrist played there. Max Scherzer pitched in that league. So it's it's they've had notable people play there. So it, it's decent competition. College kids, there's a lot of young talent there. So what they did because of COVID-19, the teams in, in the other states, they can't play each other. They can't travel like they're used to. So Traverse City created two new teams to play against the pit spitters and so they can have competition and have some sort of semblance of a season and keep the local economy going. So they create two teams. One is the Northern Michigan Dune Bears. And the other team is called the Great Lakes Resorters. And the Dune Bears is that because... They've got Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore up there, and it's a national park in, in northern Michigan. It's absolutely beautiful if you ever have a chance to get over there. So they, they, they create these two new teams out of thin air with other college kids so the Traverse City team can have someone to play with <laughs> over the course of their season before things open up again, and then they can play the teams in the other states. Like they've got the team in Eau Claire and in Rockford, teams like that. So I look at tickets and I sort of see how they're doing it. I listen to a couple interviews, read a couple of articles about the league and how they're approaching it. And this is before I had any knowledge of how they're handling COVID up there, which, by the way, they handled it awesome. So I, I go on to the website and like, you know what? That'd be awesome. You know, I don't know if my dad and I will have another opportunity to see a baseball game together in 2020. And I mentioned my dad, Brian, at the beginning of the podcast when talking about the Sox-Tigers brawl. So I'm thinking... Let's, let's go see a ball game together. So I buy two tickets. By the way, front row, two tickets, cost me like $22 total for front row seats. And they the way they did it is you can go on the website, pick your tickets, and you could see they're spaced out in the section so you're not sitting by anyone. So that made me feel better. The fact that it was going to be outside made me feel better. 
I could sort of control the environment. I don't have to, you know, go to the, the bathroom, you know, and risk exposure there, even though we know things about services, but it's m- mostly for the, being in tight quarters with people, which is what I worry about. So buy two tickets. I'm excited. I'm like, man, I'm going to get to have a beer at a baseball game with my dad in 2020. And it's not the circumstances that we all hoped for or wanted, but it could still be fun. So a couple of days go by. I'm reading about the Traverse City team and how they had a walk-off win against one of these other teams they were playing. And the first day we're there, the radio comes on, and all of a sudden there's a COVID outbreak with one of the teams that they created. I think it was the the Dune Bears team had some positive tests. So they had to shut the league down, and naturally they're going to resume the league on the same Friday that I'm leaving. So I was pretty bummed about that, but it just goes to show you they played like maybe five, six games tops in that league before they had to shut everything down. And granted, not all things are equal. You know, these players don't make money from this, so they don't have the obligation per se. They don't have the the, the means that the team's providing them. They don't have the incentive really to follow protocols as tightly as a major league baseball player would, where they've got millions on the line and they've, they've got all these other guys that are professionals to sort of live up to their expectations. And everyone's kind of pulling from the same rope, but with, with college kids, first of all, they're college kids, they're young. So, you know, they're not as responsible and I'm not trying to say that this was due to lack of responsibility, but you know, just, it's, it's not the same as major league baseball. So I'm not trying to create a false equivalency here, but they had to shut the league down And they said, of course, naturally, this was on a Monday. So like, oh, we'll be back Friday. We're going to take baseball is going to take a timeout here until Friday. So five days, all this COVID stuff, all the dust will settle and we'll be back playing by Friday. So we actually ended up staying an extra night on Friday. We had such a good time up there. We stayed in Traverse City. And spoiler alert, they did not resume the season on Friday. Uh, They were not able to come up with a vaccine uh, or a way to figure out to play baseball safely in northern Michigan uh, by Friday. So that didn't happen. And it's pretty sad. I found out today you go back on the website and it says they're going to resume play this coming Monday next week if you're listening to this. And you go to the website and you find out that they – had to disband the team, the, the Dune Bears team that, you know, because because they had the positive test. They had to just destroy the team. They thought it would be more feasible to just get rid of the team and just have Traverse City play one team, the Great Lakes Resorters, for the rest of the season and, and try to make it work. Godspeed. God bless. I hope it works out for them because it's a big part of the local economies in these towns. I don't know what some of the other teams are doing, but if you're listening locally here in Chicago, you could go see the Rockford team play, I suppose, if, if you wanted to see baseball this year. You can go see the Rockford Rivets play, and you know that's something if you want to do, if you've got that, that urge to go to a baseball game and have a beer uh, with, with your son, with your dad, with your brother, or with anyone, with your wife and kid, you know, that's a thing you could do. So... Just thought I'd share that. Could be a cautionary tale for Major League Baseball just to show how hard this whole thing is going to be. Major League Baseball is going to need a lot of good luck. They're going to need a lot of testing. And they're going to need a lot of fans to be patient and understand that a lot of big-name players aren't going to be a part of this thing, either willfully or, if you know, God forbid, they contract the virus. They're not going to be a part of their team season. And a lot of guys with with are going to have to make some hard choices this year. So keep that in mind as we go forward in 2020 
as these guys are out there for our entertainment and for their own financial benefit. And they have a small window in their life where they can earn this type of money. So they're going to try to give it their best shot. Some guys decided not to, but we'll have to be patient and have a little understanding as the season progresses here. And things will be different and we'll just have to live day by day as with anything else in life. Thank you guys so much. That does it for me today on this edition, episode 46 of Locked On White Sox, the Chris Tannehill solo edition. I miss my guy, Herb. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to talk to him tomorrow. Thank you guys for listening today. But before we get out of here, make sure you tell your smart speaker to play Locked On Fantasy Baseball. They're talking all things fantasy baseball as we approach opening day, which as of the night I'm recording this, which is nine days away. If you're listening to this, it'll be eight days away to opening day. So tell your smart speaker to play Locked On Fantasy Baseball. And that does it for this edition of Locked On White Sox.